Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. UX Cake is all about developing the layers you need to be more effective in your work and to be happy and fulfilled in your career. I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo, and I'm a UX leader and leadership coach. Hello, and welcome to UX Cake. Today, we are diving into the topic of using healthy conflict and feedback to help us produce our best creative and innovative work. I think we all know that innovation and creativity and producing our best work really requires a certain level of collaboration and communication, at least in the work that we do in UX, we work with so many other people in order to get our work out there. But what many of us may not realize is that at the core of this is productive conflict. And without that conflict, that productive conflict, we're really not going to be able to produce our best work. My guest today is Billy Mandel, and she is a design leader and a coach and educator and facilitator, and she gives workshops and trainings in the subjects of critique and conflict and creativity. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the importance of speaking up and offering divergent ideas, learning how to ask uncomfortable questions, and creating a safe environment to do that to get divergent ideas for making mistakes and for asking, what am I missing? We also are discussing the crucial role that feedback plays in this process. And Billy's going to be sharing some tips on how to solicit as well as give and receive feedback in a way that is caring and effective. And speaking of feedback, I really appreciate getting feedback from you all about UX Cake. It can be a real challenge sometimes to get this podcast made and get it out there for you. And I only keep doing it because of the positive feedback that I get from listeners who find it helpful. And I have also gotten constructive feedback, and that's equally helpful <laughs> um, because it helps me iterate and, and improve, right? Like putting the name of the guests in the title instead of in the subtitle, for example. And that made so much sense once it was pointed out to me. I want to thank you if you have taken the time to rate and review UX Cake. And if you haven't yet and would like to help us reach more listeners, please do leave us a five-star rating wherever it is you listen or a thumbs up on YouTube. And a quick review or comment really helps us out. And it helps me understand what it is you like. And if you have any constructive critique or suggestions, of course, I am all ears. Drop us a line through our website at uxcake.co or one of our UX Cake pages on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. I think we are also on Facebook, <laughs> but I don't actually I have to admit, I don't actually check uh, Facebook. Okay. Well, let's jump into this great discussion with Billy Mandel. Hello, Billy. Welcome to UX Cake. It's so thank you so much. Nice to have you on the podcast. 
Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Today, we're going to talk about the role of conflict in creativity. And I'm excited about it. I think you and I have a lot of similarities in, in, in as much as we're both very um, nonconformist. We don't put up with bullshit. We both are very intuitive and also very compassionate. Um, I think that drives a lot of the work that you and I do. Um, we, and yet we're also very different in our style of communication. And so I think that's going to make this a really fun conversation. I am excited. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> also, I have to say, I respect the hell out of you. And that is really, I think that is a key element of what we're talking about today, which is productive conflict, mm -hmm. the need for productive conflict in yes. doing anything that is creative, anything that's big, anything that is new. And I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about this, talking to people about this. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on um, why is conflict so important for creativity? That is a great question, Lee. Thank you so much. There are a few questions that have been driving me for many, many years as I've been observing the behaviors on the teams that I worked on, the teams that I led, the teams that I worked with, and now the teams that, that come to me in my coaching practice. And one of them is, why is it that there are so many teams of kind, smart people who really get along well and continually produce meh work? Mm. So there's one of them right there. And then I also really have to keep wondering, why is it that certainly in the, in the software industry, on technical teams, creative teams within, within the software industry as well, and even in, in teams I'm starting to see in other types of industries, in finance, in healthcare, I see a very similar disjunction, if you will. We all seem to know, oh, we're supposed to fail fast. Oh, we're supposed to put the user at the center. We're supposed to have empathy. Everybody can tell you what we're supposed to do. But in the moment when you've got humans sitting in a room making decisions, they don't do it. Hmm. So looking at those two phenomena together, people like each other. They, they feel like they should be producing great work because they care a lot and they've got great relationships. But somehow they're falling short. And I think the biggest observation that I've seen is that the change that you can make with teams starts between people's ears. <laughs> it's always going to start between people's ears. And what is happening between people's ears very often is fear of conflict. Fear very of conflict. Often, yeah, it, it's it's fear of conflict, it's fear of judgment, it's fear of speaking out and getting fired. It's fear mm. of the power over happening in most of our organizations, most of which are very hierarchical, mm -hmm. that makes it structurally really hard for people who have less power in an organization to challenge that organization. 
Yeah. The other the other thing that I really see happening is this has been a little bit controversial with some of my clients. People don't like when you talk about patriarchy. They do not like it. <laughs> Especially they don't the like patriarchy. It. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of one of the biggest observations that I've had in my practice is that individual awareness of what matters to me, what matters to my team, what are the ways in which I can speak up and contribute to the overall collective output of my team? What are the ways in which disrupting my own comfort is required for me mm -hmm. to do something that is unexpected? Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a thing there too. I, I like to teach sometimes using the Jahari window, but I don't use it the way a lot of people use it. So Jahari window, you've got known to self, not known to self, known to others, not known to others. And the the, the main principle is that you have to get other people's perspectives in order to, to find out what you don't know about yourself. And you have to share more about yourself in order to get better perspectives. And both of those things together will create possibility of defining the unknown unknown. Hmm. So the only way, what, what that means in, in, uh, in terms of how teams, teams interact is... If you and I are working together and we're sticking with what we are already comfortable with, we're not going to innovate. We're not going to be creative because we're going to pick one of the ideas that either you or I has and can persuade the other is good. Mm -hmm. So if, if I have an idea and you have an idea and we pick one of them and just go with it, then one plus one is one. Mm -hmm. But if we engage with each other such that we're filling in each other's blind spots, we create the possibility of making something together that neither one of us expected. Mm. So that, that's where the, the conflict is required. You have to, some people don't like when I say conflict. Like, what do you mean, what do you mean conflict? Conflict is, is adversity. We don't want conflict. We need safety. Everyone has to feel comfortable. No, no. Everybody has to feel a little bit uncomfortable. You brought up something really important about revealing something that is unknown about ourselves. And that can feel vulnerable. In fact, um, putting something out there that you're uncomfortable with or that, you know, putting yourself out there for many, many people feels very uncomfortable and um, vulnerable. And your word safety um, kind of was basically what I was thinking about, like how safety is required, a feeling of safety, that which is very different from discomfort. You you can, in fact, I, I believe that you can push your limits of comfort and discomfort if you feel safe. And so I, I would love to get your, your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, certainly vulnerability is required. My very favorite, favorite leadership book ends up still being Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. <laughs> it's my favorite because the idea of choosing what you share about yourself with whom intentionally is really important, particularly if you're in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say to, to my group clients in particular and my leaders, your teams are going to do what you do, not what you say. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So being intentional about showing that you too make mistakes, showing that you too understand that everyone's first idea is not the best idea. Too often what I see is that folks who are more experienced and more skilled ask for less feedback because they assume they shouldn't have to. And they're a little bit indignant about the idea that they should need it. But if you think about how bias works and how our brains work, we become, as we get more experience, more sure about the things that we know and more confident about our, our own contributions. But that means that we're missing our blind spots even more. So combining our our ideas with other people's ideas is that much more important as we gain experience in order to make not only make sure our ideas are still relevant, but in order to maximize the creative output of a collectivity. If, you know, you got a team of 50, all 50 people just do what the boss says, then the boss's capacity for accepting different perspectives becomes a creativity ceiling on the whole team. <clears throat> So leading with vulnerability is really, 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 really important. And that's what often indexes the entire team on how safe is it to screw up? How safe is it to admit, I don't know? If they see the boss saying, well, here's my best thinking on this problem. What am I missing? That's my favorite question. What am I missing? Mm -hmm. The shared understanding of what am I missing means everyone is missing something and indicates to us as we digest it that collaboration is how we lift our, our output. But you're right, it does require putting ourselves out there. And that can be really, really challenging, particularly for folks who are not used to being accepted in the workplace exactly as they are. Mm-hmm. So and and who, like, may actually not be accepted <laughs> as who they are. You know what I mean? Like, in a situation oh, yeah. where um, that safety isn't there, um, it can be challenging to um, to recommend to someone to to do this, to um, take that leap, or to. Um, to put themselves at risk of being shot down. I think it's important for uh, for that sense of safety to come top down. And I think that's what you were talking about. Like if it's not coming top down, um, it's very difficult to create safety bottom up. That just- Oh yeah, 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 yeah. happens. <laughs> it's on the leaders. It is 100% on the leaders of a team to protect the team from being sanctioned for sharing unpopular or divergent opinions. I, the way that I think about it is that, you know, again, every design school in the world is going to tell you diverge, converge, diverge, converge. Mm -hmm. But how many teams do you actually see diverging? And letting themselves sit in the discomfort of here are all the different ways that we can do it. Mm -hmm. Usually teams don't diverge that far. How much tolerance is there for people to say, I don't agree, or I'm afraid we're missing something, or I know 
Ms. Boss, you're really, really fired up about this idea, but I'm really worried that we're missing this important point that might cause this important consequence. This whole idea of unleashing the potential of a team. Too often, what is capping the team's potential is what the leadership is willing to accept, not only as a solution, but even within the process of creative ideation. Mm -hmm. Your question about comfort and discomfort, I want to come back to because it's really, really important. It's something I've been thinking a lot about, especially recently. I have a few new big teams that I'm working with, and I, I'm seeing this come up a lot. The best analogy for why you need to increase your tolerance for discomfort is going to the gym. Mm -hmm. The people who get up and go to the gym regularly know that it's going to be painful. <laughs> they know that they're actually, if they're lifting those weights, breaking down the fibers of their muscles <laughs> so that they can regrow more strongly. And they are motivated to incur that pain because they accept that that pain is going to lead them to, to an outcome that they want. Mm -hmm. I think it's exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I, I don't want to overquote Brene Brown, but there's, <laughs> what, there's one point that she makes that, that really underlines this. She did say that the idea, if you really want to have that, that feedback culture, the creation of, of more tolerance for dissenting perspectives, too many people talk about getting comfortable having hard conversations. But what she says is normalizing discomfort. If you normalize discomfort within your organization, that's what you need in order to get those, those better outcomes, those more creative outcomes, those outcomes where people who are different from the leadership, people who have new perspectives can actually contribute. But the thing that I've noticed recently, in addition, is that you can't just say normalizing discomfort and mic drop it right out there. But in the same <laughs> way that you can't just say, go lift weights and break your muscles, you're going to get stronger. People who go to the gym to lift weights know that if they are lifting in the wrong position or they do too many reps or too many sets, or I did arms yesterday, what the heck? It looks good when I do arms. That person over there is looking, I'm going to do some arms. And they do themselves damage. Yeah. So at the gym, they have to discern between healthy discomfort and unhealthy discomfort. Mm -hmm. And that's the trick with creative and technical teams as well, is increasing the overall group tolerance for discomfort and dissenting perspectives. In fact, training them to want it. Mm -hmm. The way a weightlifter really wants that burn, even though it hurts like hell, but they want what comes on the other side. That's really the trick is training ourselves to want the discomfort that comes from knowing where we're not there yet. Yeah. And similar to what you're talking about, like, let's continue using the analogy of going to the gym. You're talking about structures that they have in, you know, they've learned some rules 
<laughs> um, they've learned some guidelines um, of what is what makes healthy and versus unhealthy. It is really important for individuals to learn how to communicate in healthy ways, how how to challenge directly with uh, rad the the radical candor book puts it, you know, challenge directly while caring personally, <laughs> which is the very, you know, kind of this difference between healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict. You've got naysayers um, that doesn't usually, you know, just adding a bunch more naysayers is not going to give you a better product. I think that's what you're talking about here with healthy versus unhealthy conflict. Yes, 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 yes. And it, it Everyone has had the experience, I think, it, certainly if you work in design, you've had the experience of going to a quote unquote design critique where somebody shows some work and you're supposed to quote unquote, give them feedback. <laughs> Here's the analogy I'd like to give there is that it, it it's like my son when he was smaller, he's in middle school, he knows how to ask for feedback now, but you know, when your kid is seven, and make some art and they just show it to you. All they want is your approval. Mama, do you like it? Right. Mm -hmm. They just want, I'm good. I tried. I surprised myself. I just want approval for that. And that's cool. That is great. If you're a kid, <laughs> it's great. But for crying out loud, that's not what we're a design critique for. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the biggest mistakes I see is, and it's not just with with designers. It happens in other fields as well. But it, but since critique is is one of those things we know we should do, right? So everybody does it somehow. Most of us are doing it backwards. Most of us are thinking, I'm going to go off on our, on my own. I'm going to give my best shot at solving this problem. And there are going to be some parts of this problem that I am not sure I'm standing on solid ground, but I'm going to give it my best shot and I'm going to bring it to design critique and I'm going to shut my trap. And if nobody spots it, if everybody says, yeah, you're good, then I'm good. But then who finds the problem? Whatever it was that I'm not really sure that I solved well enough. It's the customer. The customer finds it every time. And if you multiply that by, by the number of designers who have each been given some tiny little feature to design out of context, it's not a surprise that so much of our software sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find that, I mean, you teach people this and they all laugh and they all recognize themselves and the little kid going to like it. But in the moment when we get to the design critique, what are we going to do differently? What are mm -hmm. we going to do differently? And there are always two sides of it. There's the, what do I do as an individual person? How do I demonstrate courage and vulnerability? How do I get myself to the gym? How do I get myself into the, into the arena and get some information that I need to know so that I can improve? Yeah, yeah. The getting feedback knowing how to get good feedback is just as much of a skill as giving 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it's so funny too, because I have a program critical collaboration for creative teams. I bring it into big companies, big teams, you know, and they all want to know, how do I give critique? How do I give critique? They always want to start with providing. <laughs> they always want to start I'm not by surprised. somebody. Yes. Everybody wants to know, how do I tell somebody else what they're That's doing right. wrong? That's right. In fact, I was thinking about how um, how we listen Ooh. often is we are listening for how can I find out what's wrong with either what that person's saying or how can I find out what's wrong with somebody else? And when we miss, how is this reflective of me? That's Mm -hmm. I I like to remind people. I mean, most folks have heard this. If I'm pointing a finger at you, oh, yeah, there's three pointing right back at me, <laughs> and maybe four, depending on the position of my thumb. <laughs> most folks who are dissatisfied at their jobs have somebody else to blame. They blame their oh, boss. Yeah. They blame the company culture. They blame their coworker who takes credit for their work. Now, I'm not saying all of those things might not be deeply broken. Sure. Yeah. So there are things that are broken. <laughs> there are a lot of things that are broken. And if you're sitting there hating your job, waiting for your organization to change, you're going to be waiting for a long time. <laughs> One of the most surprising paradoxes I see in coaching people and teams on critical collaboration is that the individuals have a lot more power than they think they do to change the outcomes of everyday decisions on their team, to change their own experience and other people's experience on the teams. And to change their experience of interacting with that power structure, right? If you've got a boss who's always disappointed, it can really get you down after a while. But take, if you take a step back, okay, why is she always disappointed? I'm working my tushy bones off over here. Once you take a deep breath, you can see your expectations and understanding of how you create value are very different from your bosses. Oh, yes. mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a difficult conversation that if you have it, you will be better positioned to be successful tomorrow than you are today. But so yeah. many folks are so twisted up and afraid of hearing. I think that's the other thing that's interesting about. I teach my program in three distinct sections. I teach soliciting critique. So structured techniques that I have created to help people ask for the information they need so that they can get an accurate baseline of what are my superpowers? How am I delivering value now? How do, how do the people who rely on me to contribute see my contributions? Mm -hmm. And what would it look like for me to contribute more effectively today than I did yesterday? Mm -hmm. The best part of all of that is that it is 100% in your control. Mm. Everybody who's listening to this, 
They've been leaving money on the table because there's a tool that is in their control to be able to be better today than they were yesterday. And too many folks are afraid to use it. Explain that. So a little I bit. like to st- I, I like to start with soliciting critique because, for for example, if I show up, the story we just told, I show I show up to critique. I've made something. I've got parts I'm more confident about. I've got parts I'm less confident about. And there may be 10, 15 other people in the room. That's an opportunity for me to get their brain power in, mm. to fill in my blind spots mm-hmm. yeah. such that I can iterate the work and improve it. Does this meet your expectations? What am I missing? How do you see it? Maybe it means I have to go back and do it again. Maybe it means I thought I was done, but I'm not done. Maybe it's going to mean that I thought I was really strong in this area. And actually, there's stuff for me to learn. If you don't find that stuff out, then you are wildly guessing. If you want want to improve. (laughs) If you're somebody who considers yourself, I get asked all the time, okay, well, I've read mindset. I know I'm supposed to have a growth mindset, but how do I actually change my mind? <laughs> and one one of those things is training yourself to need that pain, training your training yourself that the delta between what I think of myself and my own work and what you think of it is that's all growth material for me. Mm-hmm. There's another mindset structure that I think is more in line with what you're talking about, which is a learner mindset versus a judger mindset. And so Mm -hmm. with the learner mindset, which is, I would say, um, also a growth mindset, is you're asking questions. So that's how you change your mind. You ask questions. What am I missing? And what could be true? You know, Mm -hmm. what assumptions am I making? Things like that. That, That is absolutely true. No matter how much experience you have, your best thinking is going to be limited by your own experience, your own biases, whether you were brought to your mother or put in an incubator when you were born, like social psychology, (laughs) your parents' trauma, all of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. for, For real. For real. The thing about solicit is no, is training yourself to need and want the pain of understanding where you're falling short. And that does mean getting out of your ego's way. Mm. It it also means really thinking about where you get your ideas about, about what can and can't change. That's why the idea of growth mindset is so important. So on the on the one hand, training the individuals to crave those perspectives and to really want to get right-sized. A mentor of mine taught me that word, right-sized, and I love it because too many of us are like, I'm a rock star, I'm a legend, except for the areas where I suck and I'm terrible and I'm the worst. Neither one of those things is usually true. Right. Most of us have, have a balance of strengths and weaknesses and ways that we contribute. One of the techniques that I like to share with folks who are who are starting their journey to solicit critique well is shine a light on the ugly part. Mm. Shine a light on the ugly part. It feels really counterintuitive. This is it's the uh, the 
the punchline of the do you like it story? Mm. When I come into a critique, I know that what I most need is other people's brain power on the part of, of the work that I'm least confident about. So mm, I help sure. the others help me by shining a light on whatever the part is that I'm least confident about. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the ugly part? Because that's the valuable part. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. shining light on the ugly part. If that also helps people help help you, and it builds the psychological safety within the organization. If somebody you really respect on your team comes to you and says, "Can I get your eyes on this? This is as far as my best thinking has gotten me, and I know conceptually, even if I feel really good about all this, I know conceptually that if I don't get somebody else's viewpoint, somebody else's perspective to fill in my blind spots, I am leaving money on the table." Mm-hmm. So what am I missing? And shine a light on the ugly part. Great places to start. Mm-hmm. To your point, though, most organizations don't want to start there. They want to start by how do I provide? How do I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> and I make them do the solicit part first. The provide part, I'm glad you brought up radical candor. I love Kim Scott's work. And mm-hmm. I think the the core the core premise of radical candor is important. It the challenge, people over index on the challenge. Like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be radical. I'm gonna tell you what I think. I'm a native New Yorker. Our <laughs> entire culture is based on that. But the question is, especially for UX designers, why am I telling you? Why do I care so much? Why is it important? What outcome am I hoping for? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to provide so badly? What problem am I trying to solve? Yeah. And that's where the caring personally comes in. So maybe it's, I want to tell my boss that she has some habit of how she talks to me that makes it really hard for me to hear her. What do I want from that? I just want to tell her how, how terrible she is. And how, okay, you're having yourself a feeling there. But really, what do you hope to get out of it? I right, wish she would yeah. stop doing that. It would be a lot easier for me to hear her if she didn't do that. Okay. Where's her benefit going to come from there? Okay. If I want our working relationship to go better than it has been, and I've taken a breath and done some self-reflection and I can see that there's this thing getting in the way. So I'd like to to bring it out in the open because I care. I want to make sure that we have time to get to everything that you wanted to get to. You did mention three steps. So I think we covered soliciting feedback. We've covered a bit of giving feedback, which yeah. comes after soliciting mm-hmm. feedback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the third the third piece is receive. But then mm-hmm. there, there's also the next level of the whole thing is how does all this stuff work across power dynamics, mm-hmm. which is a whole other. <laughs> That's a different conversation. That's breath. another conversation. We have so many conversations we can have. We're just teeing I love it up that. as a, like a series. I love that. I think, all right, so here's the deal. The thing about receive, 
you know, again, it comes back to the everybody knows that for growth and for creativity, you need to iterate. But most of us don't do it. It's mm-hmm. one of those shameful secrets. Oh, so, it surprises me so every time. I don't know why it surprises me so often when someone is coming to me and, and telling me they have an issue with someone on their team who's just not iterating. How can I get them to iterate? How can I? Oh, goodness. It's yeah. like, how, how can we have so many people in design and research who who aren't iterating? I don't understand. But I mean, I, well, I understand, but I still get surprised. But I want to hear what you have to say about it. Iteration is important because growth and learning happens cyclically. You try something and you see what the delta is between what you expected and what you saw. Anybody who has ever sat in on a, a, a blind usability test, it surprises you every time. What I thought they were going to do, they do something totally different. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think the problem is that as a culture, we have over-indexed on the hero's journey. We've over-indexed, especially design culture and all this storytelling. Even some of our greatest feminist thinkers are the hero's journey, the story arc, make sure that it's escalating up and escalating up. And you've got your, your, your the place where the action will dip, but then they end on a triumphant high. All of ours are stories. So you'll notice I'm wearing a spiral. I'm always, I've got them in my ears. I've got them around my neck. There's something that I have noticed that's kind of hard to, it's hard to lead with, but it's great to end with. (laughs) Learning, growth, innovation, which are essentially the same thing. Innovation is, is a factor of learning and growth at a collectivity level. It doesn't happen in a hero's journey. It doesn't happen in just that linear segment. That linear segment is a piece of a greater spiral. Our seasons change. Each year we get a little bit older and some of us are going to feel like we're doing the same things over and over. It's only by embracing that our our learning and our knowledge is not this triumphant patriarchal hero's flex it's this more nuanced, cyclical, spiral journey. Mm-hmm. When I am in that place of, oh, here I am, back here again, back in the same spot. If I'm on a spiral, right? The delta between where I was, mm-hmm. what I knew the last time I was in this place and what I know now. Mm-hmm. The delta between those two things, that's where the growth comes from. That's yeah. where the key is. Yeah. But I, I yeah. think the more we embrace that learning is a spiral and that that there's a part of it that's really hard when you're on the upswing into the, the fun, exciting new part. It's really exciting. But then there's always going to be that part where you're in the downturn, you're in the dark time, like we're going into the dark time of year now. And it feels like, Oh, it's going to take so much time and effort to to get that upswing back. Mm-hmm. But if we trust that that if we keep going and keep learning the thing and keep getting that right sized baseline of where am I, and keep thinking 
I want to be better today than I was yesterday. I want to participate more effectively. That's where that iteration comes from. Yeah. And the, I want to point out something that you mentioned in passing, but the importance of the reflection as you're going around, that is what is um, fueling the growth is the reflection of, oh, what is different? How is it different? Acknowledging, you know, what, where we have grown and acknowledging where we have yet to, you know, develop. But there's that reflection that's required to actually drive the growth and the movement. The movement. Yeah. Yeah. You are absolutely right. And I think too many of us, okay, this is this is a great place to to land this plane. <laughs> the one of the reasons that that self-reflection is so important and often so difficult for people. I think it's especially difficult in a professional capacity for those from historically underrepresented groups because we have learned to index on extrinsic motivation. Mm. Like for anybody who who has had to code switch into a patriarchal, hierarchical environment, there's, there's that challenge, right? Of having to, I want the promotion, I want the title, I want the status because he's got it and people are listening to him. I want more money and more, a bigger piece of the pie. So I have to keep growing, but growing doesn't mean taking higher steps on somebody else's ladder. Mm. Mm -hmm. Growing means looking at yourself and going, how am I holding myself back? Yeah. <laughs> what the, do I the want motive- to learn is another yeah. thing we often forget to ask. Well, what do I want to learn? What do I need to learn? What mm-hmm. what is what am I being willfully ignorant of that is is holding me back? Why do I want to learn it? Why am I willing to look at some things and not look at other things? It's usually the things that we are unwilling to look at that mean the most and have the greatest amount of potential. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, the last thing that I will say there is in terms of, of receiving, somebody who comes at you really hard, even someone who's giving you critical feedback in a way that is unkind, it'll tell you something about them. The way they deliver it absolutely tells you something about them. But if they're coming at you with heat, that's a gift for you. Oh, wow. You know, we're, we're software designers. We should be so lucky that somebody cares and gets passionate about the decisions we're making. So very often when somebody comes at us with heat, instead of caving and being like, oh, I made the Wookiee man, I've got to appease him. <laughs> very often it's an opportunity. Most often it's an opportunity wow, oh, you're really heated about this. Help me understand. What are you afraid is going to happen? 
I, I really need to know. I've obviously missed something here. Let me, why is this so concerning to you? And sometimes it's just, oh, it was a surprise. It was totally different from how I would do it. And in that conversation, mm -hmm. that's where you find those unknown unknowns. That's where you fill in the blind spots. Mm -hmm. So all this by way of saying that even across power dynamics, where there's conflict and dissent in perspective, there's stuff to be learned. And if we as individuals become hungry for getting right size, for understanding, what's the, what's the delta between what I assumed and what other people heard, what other people perceived, then we can combine our, our perspectives effectively. And then we're really doing collaboration. Mm -hmm. yeah. Otherwise... We're throwing spaghetti against the wall and whoever throws it hardest is going to stick. And we shouldn't be wondering <laughs> <laughs> why it's not a gourmet meal. Right. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you so much for, um, for sharing with us all your wisdom. Before we go, um, you have mentioned your programs. And I know that you work inside companies, um, but you also work with individuals. Um, you work with teams. Where can people find out more about how to work with you? Thank you so much for asking. My website is billymandel.com. Only one L. You can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Please sign up for my mailing list. I know email is a thing. I won't send you that many, but anybody who's a solopreneur, please sign up for their mailing list so that that, that becomes part of their, their business that they're building. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm going to be offering some, some classes to the public in 2023, and the people who are on my mailing list will be the first folks to, to hear about it. I also do have a small one-on-one -on -one coaching practice and I have a few openings starting in January. So awesome. find me at billymandel.com, support your women solopreneurs and uh, <laughs> folks who have, have blazed out on their own during the pandemic and uh, go out and get right-sized and learn something unexpected about yourself. That's what I have to say. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Lee. Hey, if you enjoyed this slice of UX cake, please share this episode with a friend or a few. You can share it on social media even. It really helps us spread the word and get this free content to more people. You can follow UX cake on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and get all the episodes and show notes at uxcake.co. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing the UX cake.